Today on Mel, a secret between sisters. It's been 26 years of doing this. Hiding in plain sight. How did it get so far? Until now, you also have something you've been keeping from her. Shedding the shame of this obsessive cycle no one's talking about. Today on Mel. Okay, thank you so much, and hello, I'm Mel Robbins. Today's show is extremely important. Now, early in my career, I was a lawyer for legal aid, helping people who had no one fighting for them. I met people at their most fragile and vulnerable. And for many, I was the first person they ever told their story to. That's why today's quote really moved me. Nothing makes us as lonely as our secrets. So what secret are you keeping from the people closest to you? It doesn't matter how small it may be, but every single day that you keep quiet, you're gonna feel a little more alone. For 26 years, Kim has kept a secret from her friends and family. And today, she's sharing her story for the very first time. Since I was 11 years old, I've struggled with bulimia. Growing up, my, my mom did have a fixation on my weight. I would overhear talk about Kim was getting bigger. Words like diet, I would hear sometimes at the house. My mom had a sign on the fridge that was foods that Kim could and could not eat. I would sometimes sneak from the can't list, and I have a younger sister, and she didn't have a sign on the door, so I, I thought that there must be something wrong with me. Shopping for clothes was not a great experience. I still remember trying on clothes and overhearing my mom saying, Kim's gotten a little bigger. I don't think that these are gonna fit. We need to go up a size. I still have panic attacks trying on clothes in a dressing room. I believed that something was wrong with me. Bulimia was my solution to fixing what was wrong. I grew up in a house that had one bathroom. I had to find ways to get away with purging. I even started to secretly purge in other people's homes. Purging became my way of controlling the chaos. It's something that I'm not proud of and it's become a heavy burden because I don't want to share this with anyone. I can't even look at myself in the mirror without feeling some sense of shame. Hiding the secret is exhausting. I need to take a deep breath. How does it feel to finally have this out in the open after 26 years of not talking about it? How does it feel? Um, bizarre. It feels embarrassing. It still makes me anxious because I, I haven't really talked about it to very many people. I realized there was more pieces to the puzzle yes. that I hadn't really thought about. Yeah. Have you ever sought therapy for the bulimia? No, I haven't. My least favorite subject is me, and therapy is all about, let's talk about you. <laughs> One of the things that you're going to learn when you do seek help, mm -hmm. professional help for the bulimia, is mm -hmm. that bulimia has nothing to do with food. Yeah. And that it becomes a mechanism that you use to distract yourself from the pain that you're feeling internally. But I want to dig in a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
So what's your first memory of purging? I guess I gotta answer this a little bit different as like my first memory of how I learned about it. Okay. Um, I learned about it from a TV show. It was these main character who had a best friend and there was a girl that was a friend of theirs that would stow away upstairs to the bathroom and then the girls discussed, like, she's purging, you know, she's, you know, she's throwing up. I remember thinking, ah, oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> like, what goes in can come out and it's all, like, it never even happened. And what I started realizing is when I started feeling really, really stressed, because life can be chaotic, regardless of how the chaos was affecting me, I could control purging. I could make a start and start, and that was almost empowering. And I almost felt like, oh, okay, this is centered. I always have this. And I kind of leaned on that. So why do you think your mom was so obsessed with your weight? I, I think it was like she saw or believed that there was better for me. Mm -hmm. She was expressing it the best way she knew how. You know, she would mention needing to go on a diet, for example. Mm -hmm. I took that to mean if I need to do something different, it's because I'm doing something wrong or there's something wrong about me. And you also said that your aunts would pile on some of the criticism or pointing things out. What were some of the things that they would say? You know, if I was getting heavier, for example, like I remember going shopping, back to school shopping with my mom and one of my aunts and um, a conversation about, I don't think we're in the right area. I, I don't think Kim can fit these. I think we need to go up. Maybe we should look at women's, you know what I mean? And I, I, I want to say I was 13, 14. And I, I don't think they were joking so much as just saying what they see. But to me, I was like, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. How do you hide this? from other people? I have, for the most part in the past, would just sort of strategize where are the places I can go um, that are sort of away from people. If I was purging, for example, little techniques like flushing multiple times or um, running water or making sure that you purge right after you eat, so it just seems like you just have to go to the restroom, yeah. those kind of things. You know, I have a really close friend whose daughter was inpatient for an eating disorder, and I remember her saying something that really struck me. Mm. And it was that, yes, the, the eating disorder takes an emotional toll on your body, but it takes an even greater toll on your soul. Can you describe the toll it's taken on your soul? It's disheartening to think that I'm in my 30s and I've been doing this or obsessing about this or feeling this way about myself on and off for 20 plus years. And I couldn't have fathomed when I was not even a teenager that I would get to this point. It just sort of continued and then I relied on it and then even when I wasn't relying on it, I was still beating myself up. It's like, how did it get so far? How did you lose control of yeah. this? Did you ever share any of this with your mom? I, I talked to her about the bulimia. Um, I don't know if I was so much always shared with her how vulnerable I felt. Mm. She doesn't deny any of it. 
but she doesn't remember it all. Yeah. Now, you have one sister, and, mm -hmm. you know, she was allowed to eat whatever she wanted. So why do you think you were the one that was singled out? As far as my, I've always been concerned, my sister's perfect in every way. So I understood that I was imperfect. Like, you know, some of the things that they discussed, like I could see that I was getting weight, but I, I didn't know what that meant. It's not her versus I, I I'm flawed. You know, you wrote to me and asked for help in breaking the cycle. And I gotta tell you, I am so proud of you <sighs> for being you. here, right? Kim's sister, Danielle, is going to join us, and she, too, has been keeping a secret. And for the first time, these two sisters will talk about something they've never discussed before. Next. Kim, what are you feeling? Frustrated. I should have protected you better, and I didn't know. Sorry. And later, are you stuck in your comfort zone? Every Friday night, me and my brother, we plan to go out, but we just can't get out of the house. Here they are on a typical Friday night. Oh my God. <laughs> Next, Mel? She's pissed off because she's paying the bills. Grown kids who won't leave the house. I said, you're acting like a loser. Josh, who's the loser or you feel like a loser? How to empty your nest for good, tomorrow on Mel. I have a secret too. For years, I abused diet pills and laxatives. I even replaced meals with Tic Tacs. And I kept these secrets from my sister. In fact, it wasn't even until I got called by Mel to come and support my sister that I even discussed this with anyone. I never realized how much my sister has struggled. To be honest, I'm nervous for her today. I don't know how we talk about this face to face, but you know, I want help for her and for me. Here's what happened. After Kim reached out to me, we of course contacted Kim's sister, Danielle, so Kim would have family here to support her in the audience, and that's when we uncovered that Danielle has had a secret she's never shared with Kim. What's your reaction to hearing the extent of Kim's struggle? A lot of it was shock. Kimberly and I are very close two different coasts, but we're very close. So it was, it was a big shock, especially when Kimberly was talking about purging at other people's houses. There's a lot of things I hear and I feel like as women, we go through so much pressure, pressure to where it's similar, but that's something I haven't really heard before. You know, I understand that you also have something painful that you've been keeping from her. First off, I wanna say that you're not alone. I, I feel that sometimes, I always say, you've heard me say it before, I feel like we need to check on our strongest friend. And that's something that I'm sorry for not doing. There's been, in my history, I cannot tell you ever a time I've ever been satisfied with the way I've looked. A lot of times it's because comments people have made about my weight. You know, those little blue laxatives, I'm not sure if they still make them, but. I, pop those laxatives because I didn't purge. Purging was not for me. But I would take laxatives because I said one way in, one way out. Either this way or that way. And I chose that way. I would go twice a week and not eat. I took diet pills for so many years, I can't even honestly tell you how long. 
I wouldn't say I abused them. I took them the way I needed. It says one a day. I took one a day. But a part of me, it's hard for me to say maybe I didn't abuse them because I was 17, 16, 15. What kids should be taking a diet pill at that time? And what are you feeling? Um, frustrated. Because we are close. Mm -hmm. You're my ride or die. And... I've always taken it upon myself to protect you. I said I was gonna cry. Um, it's, it's actually, I think, trying to hold it all together is part of the issue. And it's part of what led to you two not talking to each other about it. It's okay. So, uh, I should have protected you better, and I didn't know. I'm sorry. That's how I feel. I feel like I didn't do my job. May I jump in and say something? I don't want you to feel pressure for not having told me something, because guess what? I didn't tell you. And you said how Danny's perfect. I felt that way about you. You were perfect to me. Crazy thought to And me. you are perfect to me. You're my best friend. reasons why I wanted to do this show is because of exactly what's happening right here. That even with the people that are our ride or die, mm -hmm. our bestest of friends, the people we love, we look up to, we're still afraid to have the conversations mm -hmm. about what we're struggling with. Yeah. And the only way to be mentally well, because the truth mm -hmm. is, we, I don't need to know what your home address is, because mm -hmm. I know where you live. Mm -hmm. The same place I do, right up here. Mm -hmm. yep. And so I want to acknowledge the two of you for, first of all, asking for help. Secondly, being honest, because you can't solve a problem that you're not willing to talk about. And what you find out is that the second that you talk about it, you find all these other people. Because mm -hmm. I think part of what's going on for girls in particular is there's so many mixed messages that you receive as a girl. Girls start feeling concerned about how they look by the age of six. And when you don't know any better, you don't do any better. And when you do know better, you're going to do better, which is why it's so important for us to remove the stigma of this mm -hmm. stuff and the pain that people are feeling. And we start to talk about it. So I have a, a question for you. Do either one of you lay any blame on your mom at all? I personally don't. I know for me, you talk about our aunts. They would be in our living room talking about my weight. I might have felt differently then because it's hurtful when you're nine years old hearing somebody talk about how big you are. And I remember mom wanting me to go on a diet. And dad's saying, I'm, you're not putting my child on no diet. I can easily sit here and be angry about the situation. But I have kids, too. And I know I don't say things the way I feel they should be said a lot of times. And I say it out of love, but I don't say it right. Mm -hmm. And I honestly think that is what happened with mom. 
She set out a love, she just did not say it right. You know, I can relate to that as a mother. Mm -hmm. And I'm also a trained crisis intervention mm -hmm. counselor and I've been studying human behavior since 1994. And you two are trapped in something that I call a shame secret cycle. And so I wanna show you something and I wanna explain it to you because I think when you see this visual, mm -hmm. it's really gonna help, okay? Now, secrets and shame, mm -hmm. they go hand in hand. And if you think about it, we typically don't keep the things that we're proud of secret. Mm -hmm. We talk yeah. about those things. It's the things that we're ashamed of that we are silent about. And so what happens is your silence triggers you in this loop. So you have an experience where you're triggered because your life is spiraling out of control and you're in combative relationships, or you have an experience where you overhear your aunts talking about your weight or whatnot, and it triggers you. Mm -hmm. And the trigger leads you to do something self-destructive, whether it's purging or other forms of distorted eating. Mm -hmm. And then you have that destructive thing you do and you go, oh my God, I, I, I feel so ashamed that I just yeah. did that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then that leads you to keep it a secret. So the next time you feel anxiety or you hear criticism or you feel out of control, guess what happens? You're now stuck in this loop. Mm -hmm. This is how it happens. And when you see that that's how it happens, you also see the solution, which is breaking the cycle by speaking up, which both of you are doing. Up next, Kim's letter to me led to an, an even bigger revelation. There's more to be uncovered and you're gonna hear about it next. Up next, this goes way beyond Kim and Danielle. Be okay with asking for help. People that you're gonna empower from this particular story with these two women is gonna be off the chain. And later, I'm talking about your toxic friend, <laughs> You were kind enough to give my producers your phone and I wanna share this group chat oh. with you all. Okay, this is amazing. Welcome back. I'm Mel Robbins. We're back with sisters Kim and Danielle who just shared their individual struggles with disordered eating with each other for the very first time. Now we learned researching this show that this goes way beyond Kim and Danielle. The National Eating Disorder Association says that black teenagers are 50% more likely to exhibit bulimic behaviors than white teenagers. Now that's the first time I had ever heard that statistic, and so I wanna say it again. Black teenagers are 50% more likely to exhibit bulimic behaviors than white teenagers. That's why I asked relationship expert, Dr. R.G. Allen Wilson to join us to help us unpack this. Thank you for being here. Aww. Great to be here. Amazing young women here. Is that statistic something that's widely known? No, Mel, I don't think it's widely known. I, I think that historically, we think of the eating disorder for the young white teenage female mm -hmm. and not necessarily the African-American woman. And so as a result, we end up being invisible to this particular disorder. And it's congruent with what the research says about secrecy, right? We say secrets keep you sick. Well, in our community, there's a stigma that's attached to mental health anyway. Yeah. And so when you add on eating disorder, which technically is something that historically we've thought about for another demographic, it perpetuates the silence for many of women like Danielle and Kim. 
That makes a lot of sense, and it also underscores why it's so important that the two of you are here and willing to talk about it. You know, in researching this show, I came across a study from the University of Michigan Nursing School, and they studied almost 7,000 black women, and they found this statistic about bulimia, but that there wasn't a single case of anorexia. Do these findings surprise you? Doesn't surprise me at all, because for African-American women, around 21, 20, when you're hashtag adulting, the stressors mm. are increasing, and then it's perpetuated by racism and sexual abuse or physical abuse, mm. the socioeconomic level, poverty, all of those stress factors are elevated for the African-American female. And so the one thing that they control, and you know we say control the controllables, is eating, right? right. And just because it's bulimia doesn't necessarily mean that the person's trying to lose weight. It sometimes means that you're able to control it. It means that it's a coping mechanism. It means that sometimes you're eating for some level of satisfaction because the world is so chaotic that you're not getting satisfied in any other area. Wow. I'm so proud of these women right here. I mean, they're having the courageous conversation, yes. right? Yes. They're having the courageous conversation. And, and I hope inspiring other people to do the same. Now, there's something that I wanted to ask you, and it was part of your story, Kim. In your professional opinion, if you go to your mom, right, and you go to her with any kind of disordered eating story or you're asking for help and like Kim you get a response that makes you feel either alone or not heard or not not that you know the mom is not intending to do anything but you just don't get the response what's the next step that you should take uh, yeah you know moms as you all met they don't know everything we say things that are wrong sometimes the message that's sent is not the message that's received you know Maya Angelou Dr. Maya Angelou said that she did the best that she knew how to do and when she knew better, she did better. And so if mom doesn't know everything or she gives you the response that renders you feeling invisible as well or not heard, then go to your coach, go to your school counselor, go to your friend's mom, but be okay with asking for help because someone out there is gonna see something and say something and then hopefully you can get the help that you need. But too often in our community, we don't feel like it's okay to ask for help. And so then we suffer in silence for too many years and we don't have the courageous conversations like Kim and Danielle are having now. And I can't imagine, I mean, you're empowering people before this show, but the people that you're gonna empower from this particular story with these two women is gonna be off the chain. Well, Danielle and Kim, I cannot thank you enough for finding the courage to come here, to ask for help, to share your stories with us, with one another. And as always, Dr. Argie, you're awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for helping us in practice. Look, they took the first step by coming here today. The next step is to speak with Dr. Argie backstage more, okay? Uh, if you're sitting at home and you're having one of those Mel Robbins show moments where you're going, holy cow, I was meant to see this show today because you're struggling or you think someone you know might be struggling with disordered eating, the first step, Dr. Argie said it, talk to someone you trust about it. And you can also make a call to the National Eating Disorders Association helpline at 800-931-2237, and they'll help you too. We'll be right back. Up next, it's time to break out of your comfort zone. Who can relate to this? We have our matching recliners. We get our favorite glass of Prosecco. Oh my God. <laughs> and later, are you trapped in a toxic friendship? 
Who's got one? Who's got a friend of me? Everything with this girl is a competition. Tell me about your flaky friend. On a scale of one to 10, she's 27. <laughs> I wanna know where you feel the most comfortable, the coziest, the most secure. I call this your comfort zone. You know, that moment when you're on the couch binge watching movies, or maybe it's video games, or maybe it's online shopping, or maybe you love to go to a coffee shop and spend the hours. Tell me about your comfort zone. Now, here are my three favorite responses. Dancing to 90s pop music in a giant onesie, <laughs> reading romance novels in the corner of the library, and watching horror movies with popcorn while my boyfriend massages my feet. I did not need that last detail. Because <laughs> didn't you start picturing it, you know? Here's the problem with the comfort zone. You get stuck there. You meant to start meditating, but you decided to smoke a cigarette instead. Why do we do this? I'll tell you why, because comfort zones minimize the stress. And the only way to break free of comfort zones is stepping into the uncomfort zone. And that's why I wanna talk to Janora and her brother, Troy, who know all about the comfort zones. Here, why don't you guys stand up? Here they are on a typical Friday night. Oh my God. <laughs> Okay, you two are like the cutest I've ever seen, right? Are they not the cutest you've ever seen? Janora, tell me what's happening here in that photo. Every Friday night, me and my brother, we plan to go out, but we just can't get out of the house. Like for example, like I'll be getting ready, we're pre-gaming, I'm trying on all these clothes, like I'm listening to the music, getting in the vibe, and then in the midst of it all, I just get lazy. And then I'm like, do you still wanna go out? Yeah. And then we wind up going downstairs. We have our matching recliners. We get in those recliners. <laughs> we get our favorite glass of Prosecco. Then we put on a little face mask and then we just binge watch our favorite shows. And once again, Friday night, we're in the house. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I have a question for you. Because in order to get out of your comfort zone, you gotta have something that matters to you. So what do you dream about doing with your life? Like, what's your big plans? Well, I am. Because I know it's not drinking Prosecco <laughs> with your sister every Friday night in matching loungers, right? <laughs> no. no, but I'm an artist, so I feel like I have to network more, but sometimes after long hours of work, doing 12-hour shifts, it gets tiring when you're on your feet all day and being physical and interacting with people. Uh -huh. So when you get that little comfort time, which is with my sister. It's like it's yeah. sucked into it, right? The pre-gaming starts. Who can relate to this? You got stuff you need to do, big plans, you could spend the time, but come with the Prosecco, and next thing yes. you know, you're on Friday night. Okay, where's Kim? Thank you, give them a round of applause. Kim? So, Kim, you also wrote in about your comfort zone. Yes, I did, but first I have to tell you, I'm a big fan. Oh, thank you. I love you. all your Audible originals, seeing you speak, so thank you. Thank you, you. Yes. thank you. Um, but yeah, I wrote in, because for the past five years, I have been uh, creating a divot in my couch. I get up in the morning and, you know, basically have my cup of coffee on my couch, check the news, then I go to work, then I come home and I sit in my divot sit on in my the couch, divot. Yes. sit in the divot. Yes. And, you know, and binge watch my TV shows. Gotcha. And, so, Sherry, yes. you're Kim's best friend. I am. And how is her divot impacting your friendship? Well, we have been best friends for 15 years and I have to initiate any thing that we might do, mm -hmm. it would really be nice if she would just get out of the divot and initiate something. How would that make you feel if she did it? Because it sounds like maybe it bugs you a little bit. It does it's bug always... me. Did it you know that? It does bug me. No. Yes. Sort of, a little maybe. I was, thinking, I, was, I was ignoring it, you know? I was like, um, oh, my comfort 
don't. Can anyone else relate to this? You kind of get stuck in that rut. You got a divot in the couch, and you start to go, God, I'm so lonely. Why doesn't anybody call me? Well, thank God you got shared. <laughs> right? So here's an easy way to break out of your comfort zone. Just do the opposite of what you feel like doing. So when you sit in the divot, don't wait for the extractor named Sherry to come get you. You're not right. going to feel like calling her. No. But you can use the five second rule, five, four, three, two, one. I don't feel like doing this, but I would like to be connected to my friends and do it, okay? Yep. And Troy, when you feel like pouring the Prosecco, I want you to do the opposite and pour your Friday evening into contacting art galleries. They usually are open late on Friday nights. And the reason why the uncomfort zones are so important is because that's where you find the time you need to make your dreams come true and to do the work to change your life and to stay connected to your friends. And everyone here has heard of Toni Morrison, right? Yes. Yeah, well, she recently died. She's also a Nobel and Pulitzer Prize winning author of Beloved, 16 other published works. But what you may not know is that she published her first book at the age of 39 when she was a working single mother. How? By stepping into her uncomfort zone and making herself write every single morning at 4 a.m. So I want you to know, every one of you, including you, Troy, you have the time to make your dreams come true, but you're never gonna find that time in your comfort zone. That's why you need to step out of it. Next up, I'm revealing the four most toxic friendships and how to deal with them so they stop bringing you down. Up next, you all know this friend. She's your frenemy. She is a one-upper, super-energy oh. sucker-upper. <laughs> Welcome back to the Mel Robbins Show. I'm Mel Robbins, a life strategist, best-selling author, and your biggest fan. I'm here every day as your wing woman in life, and I love this quote, people inspire you or they drain you. Pick them wisely. Now, y'all know someone in your life who drains you. Maybe it's your gossipy sister-in-law or that coworker that you can't get out of your office when you got stuff to do. Well, that's why today I'm talking about your toxic friendships, or as I like to call them, your friend <laughs> I'm revealing the four most common toxic friendships and how to handle them. What kind of friend are you? First up, the flake. These people are so flaky, they're like a croissant. They cancel on plans, they feed you loads of excuses, and take days to call you back. Anyone know what I mean? Got a croissant in your life? All right, right here. Oh my gosh, first of all, I love your glasses. Thank We're you. twinning. Thank you. We're twinning, Thank you. right? Thank right? You. Okay, yeah. amazing. Yeah. I think Thank I need you. to get a pair of those. Okay. Okay, so what's your name? Cat Brown from York, Pennsylvania. Fantastic, welcome. And tell me about your flaky friend. Well, on a scale of one to 10, she's probably a 27. <laughs> I mean, she's a great person, good heart, hard worker, but you know, she cancels at the last minute or she puts the wrong times and dates in her day planner and we call and say, hey, where are you? Well, I thought that was next week or I thought that was tomorrow, whatever. Or she's in a group text with us and she'll be there for the first 15 minutes and then we're asking her questions, when can you do this? And she's like missing in action. I don't know if she's been kidnapped or she's fallen and she can't get up. I don't know what her problem is, but it's frustrating and I'm not sure if I wanna, do I just 
kick her to the curb or do I have a come to Jesus and say, you got to quit canceling on me or what? So Who can relate to this? And you're not quite sure what to do about it, right? Okay, well, I'm glad you said group chat. Oh, yeah. Because you were kind enough to give my producers your phone, and I want to share this group chat oh. with you all. Oh. Okay, this oh. is amazing. Oh. So everybody's in there, and they're like, Kim, where's Kim? She's AWOL. Oh, she's asleep. Or maybe Earth calling Kim. She's at church, or my favorite, Sam's Club, <laughs> right? You know, since 6 p.m.? You know, where are you? And I love these uh, gifts, although I call them a gif, like yeah, peanut GIF, butter, yeah, you know GIF, what I'm saying? Yeah. And if I needed a kidney, I'm not calling Kim. And then, of right. course, Kim pops in later, hours later, and she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. I gave up looking for my phone, I'm not sure. I showed up, 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 right? Always yep. with the an excuse. <laughs> exactly. So here's what you can do about it. You ready? You gotta decide whether or not they're flaky or crusty. <laughs> so flaky is somebody that's just flighty. They got a lot going on, maybe a little ADHD, maybe they just, you know, kind of don't remember, they're overwhelmed, they're stressed mm -hmm. out, but you mm -hmm. love them, and right. they don't mean to do it. Right. Somebody that's crusting, on the other hand, is piecing out on purpose. And so mm -hmm. if they're crusty, I would throw them in the trash and get them out of the group chat, and if they're flaky, I would I just have a little more patience. I think she's just flaky. She's not crusty, she's not overdone, she's not burnt out. <laughs> I think she's just, I think she's just flaky and I love her to pieces, but you know, I might have to, you know, sit down and have a chat with her. There but, you go, there yeah. you go, yep. awesome. You're awesome, thank, thank you, you, thank you, thank you. All right, toxic friend number two. It's the all about me friend. You know this friend, she's all about me, 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 and never asks about you, 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 you. I can't stand this friend. Who's with me on this? Lori. Yes, Lori, stand up. All right, so tell me about this friend that's all about me, me, me. Unfortunately, I have too many of these friends. I don't know why, but I have one specific one that whenever we get together for lunch or hang out, she's always talking about her career, her children. She doesn't ask me about my child. Um, it's just, I find her entertaining, but I'm not getting enough out of the relationship. So I guess my question is, should I keep hanging out with her? And if I do, how could I make it a richer relationship? So when you're uh, with somebody that's me, 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 mm -hmm. we have a word for it, narcissist, right? And here's the way you navigate it. Narcissists put you into a listening trap and they're not gonna hand you the key. You gotta break free of it by speaking up. If you want to talk about what's going on in your life, mm -hmm. you're gonna have to raise it mm -hmm. and see if they take the bait. If they engage with you after you bring it up and they mm -hmm. start asking questions, this is a friend to keep around. If you raise what's going on with you and they don't ask any follow-up questions, find some other friends to hang out with because it's wasting your time, yep. okay? You got it? Yep. All right, good. Next up, you all know this friend. She's your frenemy. This is what insecure people do, and I should know because this used to be me. Who's got one? Who's got a friend of me? Oh, oh okay, I saw your head nodding. Okay, why don't you stand up and tell me what's your name? Suzanne. Suzanne, excellent, mm -hmm. and give me the details of your friend of me. Okay, she is a one-upper, super-energy oh. sucker-upper. <laughs> That's uh, that is uh, you were practicing that one. That was a good one. Wow. 
Yeah, well, girlfriend has been running a marathon with me for about the past 15 years. Okay. Um, I like to exercise, but not quite that much. Everything with this girl is a competition, okay? I got engaged, she got engaged. I got married, she booked the wedding a month after mine. Um, I bought a house, she bought a house. I got pregnant, she got pregnant. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. And I'm just exhausted at this point and I really just don't know what to do about it. I really don't. Wow, okay. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing about frenemies. Mm -hmm. And speaking from personal experience when I used to be one, um, it comes from a huge place of insecurity. You start to see that life is one big competition and when you're the frenemy, whenever you're winning, even though I love you, I hate you because it means I'm losing. The only way to fix it, if this is somebody that's supposed to be in your life, is to remind yourself, number one, when you start to get irritated, oh my God, she bought the same pair of pants as me. Oh my gosh, there she goes again. Mm -hmm. Her son is doing the same soccer thing as my son. You hear mm -hmm. me? On and on and on. When you get upset, remind yourself, wait, she's just insecure. She's just feeling a little down and then start cheering for her. Because the more you cheer for her, the less she's gonna see you as competition and the more she's gonna think of you as somebody on her team. That's awesome. It works like crazy. I call wow. it Mel-nipulation. <laughs> All right, up next, the number one most toxic friend in your life, how to spot her and why you need to get as far away as possible from her. You can't miss this, so don't go away. Welcome back, I'm Mel Robbins, and in case you just joined, I'm counting down the four most toxic friendships and how to handle them. We've gone through three of them, and now it's time for the most toxic friend of all, that's the criticizer. Who's tired of dealing with a critical, judgy friend in here, huh? Okay, what's your name? Oh, you know what, I think I'm gonna scoot. Okay. This is why we have benches, because I like to slide on in. Okay, so what's your name? My name is Sunisha, and I'm from Boston. Okay, well, welcome. And first of all, what kind of a monster would criticize such a lovely lady as you? That's all I want to say. My best friend. What? My best friend. Your best friend? Yeah. What does she do? My clothes. If I buy something and it's too fitted, she tells me to go up the size because I need to save smaller sizes for her. What? Yeah. What does she said that hurt you the most? Has to be when she said my ex-boyfriend reminds her of Alvin from Alvin and Chipmunks. But we looked great together, so like maybe I just date animals. I don't know. Whoa. So. Have you ever confronted her about this? I've confronted her about it so many times, but. And what's nothing. her reaction? She kind of brushes it off, and she feels like since she's my best friend, she should be able to talk to me about whatever it is and express herself, however that is. Well, she can talk to you about whatever she wants, but not however she wants to say it. You know, there are seven billion people in this world, so why would you put up with somebody that is criticizing you like that? Yeah. That's a, no, I'm serious, that's a, that's a real question. I don't know, I feel like sometimes maybe I'm just too sensitive. The thing about critical people is they tend to not be aware that they're doing it. And so if you want to keep her in her life, but you're tired of the criticism, it's your job to speak up and tell her. Mm -hmm. And if she doesn't change after you start speaking up more, 
it's time to find a new friend, all right? And listen, since we're talking about people that are critical, I want to find out where Lindsay is, because I understand she's the criticizer in her friendship. Where is she? Oh, whoa, okay, scoot this way, everybody. We're gonna move the friendship train down this way. So, Lindsay, I'm glad that you are seeing that in yourself. So, how are you critical of your friends? Um... Yes, that one right there. See, when I see your lips kind of quiver like that, I know that there's a story that you're editing. <laughs> Busted. That's the face of somebody that you got. You guys got got to remember, I'm a lawyer, <laughs> so I can spot BS. I have the best intentions for my friends, and I want them to grow. And I think that they need the truth to grow, mm -hmm. and that honesty is always the best policy. And if that's what you put into the universe, then I feel like there's nothing wrong with that. Has your friends ever complained to you about your delivery? Yes, it's something I've definitely worked on, but I still think it's important to be critical and to be honest that, you know, if I can't be honest with my friends, like, who's gonna be honest with my friends? Like, I agree, so here's, here's a bit of advice for you, because this is something I've had to give to myself. It's all about tone. Now remember the quote, people inspire you or they drain you, so pick them wisely. And I'd like to add this, especially if they keep picking on you. And if your critical friend refuses to change after you tell them to please stop speaking to me in that tone or in that way, it's time to pick a new friend. And if you want help on setting boundaries with toxic friends, just go to melrobinshow.com for simple steps you can take today. We'll be right back. Next, Mel. She's pissed off because she's paying the bills. Grown kids who won't leave the house. I said, you're acting like a loser. Josh. Who's the loser or you feel like a loser? How to empty your nest for good. Tomorrow on Mel. Welcome back. It's the last segment of the show. We call it the goodbye. Goodbyes are never easy, but you can always find a little good in them. So I want to share an update from Renee. Now, she was on our show about people who go from job to job to job, and she had just quit job number 63, and she was searching for fulfillment in her life. Well, old habits are hard to break for Renee, but she does feel like she's taken a step forward and she's on the right path. Take a look. Hey there, Mel, it's Renee. I just want to thank you so much because your show was such a catalyst for me. And since being on the show, I actually, believe it or not, got three more jobs. But this is the good news. I can do them all at the same time because it affords me freedom and flexibility. So thank you so much for just encouraging me to explore. And I am just so excited that I had an opportunity to meet you and that your advice has really influenced my life in such a positive way. Thanks Aww. so much. You know we don't sugarcoat things here at the Mel Robbins Show, and I was a little taken aback that she said three jobs, but given that it's working for her and giving her the flexibility to explore, I love that update. And that's why I'm here to encourage you to take a step forward, too. And in case nobody else has told you today, let me be the first person to tell you that I believe in you and your ability to change your life for the better. And that's why I'm here cheering for you five days a week on the Mel Robbins Show and reminding you that whatever you're facing, you got this. I'll see you next time.